As a Christian, you can be assured that at some point, you will encounter conflict in this life. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, Modeling Christ in Conflict, taken from John 5, we will look at the proper Christian response in conflicted situations. We are well aware that conflict comes in many forms, especially when you're trying to do what Jesus told us. Jesus was constantly conflicted, especially by the Jews of his days, because they did not accept his message and did not like that he promoted that he was the son of God, even though it was the truth. John 5 recounts one of these situations and gives us an example how we can confront conflict as a Christian and not be brought down to the level of those who oppose us, but model a godly response and maintain our Christianity. I hope this sermon helps you develop and grow spiritually so that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can represent Christ to the fullest. If you have spent any time in this world, you'll know that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that people will accept it, understand it, or even treat you appropriately. Sometimes doing the right thing causes people to have a disdain for you, to be angry, to actually want to seek to harm you because they don't understand you or why you're doing what you do. To help us, it helps to have a self-awareness, awareness why you're doing what you do and what it is that you're doing. If we look at John 5, we'll see that there was an instance where Jesus took this man who was paralyzed, who was lame, for 38 years. He heals him. It happened to be on a Saturday, a Sabbath, a holy day for the Jews. He tells this man, pick up your mat and walk, go. He's doing this. And the religious leaders see him. Now I can imagine how he might have stood out. It's a Sabbath. They're not supposed to be carrying anything. They're not supposed to be working. So you see this one man with a mat walking around close by the temple. So they stop him. They question him. Why do you have your mat? The man that healed me told me to carry it. Overlook the fact that the man has been healed, that somebody had done a miracle. They focused on what they didn't like, what they didn't understand. And so... This man trying to evade trouble tells him it was Jesus. And they confront Jesus about that situation. And Jesus gives us a very clear example of how we are to respond if we're going to engage conflict, especially in situations to where somebody wants to seek our harm when we have done right, especially when we've done right for God. Because in this situation, Jesus, knowing that they want to kill him because he broke the Sabbath and that he claims that he was a son of God, something that they cannot understand, acts very calmly and rationally and explains himself to them. You see, his approach is both instructional and informing for us as Christians because it teaches us that we don't have to confront opposition on the level that they're interacting with us. Just because somebody comes at us with hate, disdain, anger, doesn't mean that we must respond that way. 
Somebody could hate you. Somebody could want to kill you. And you can still, as a Christian, come at them with love. Try to teach them why it is you do what you do. You don't have to say, if you want to hit me, I'm going to hit you hard so you'll know not to hit me. If you talk about me, I'll talk about you worse so you'll know not to talk about me. If you want to kill me, I'll kill you first so that you cannot harm me. Because we know the reason why we are who we are is because we're trying to honor God. And we rely on God to vindicate us. And not our own might, and not our own wit, and not our own understanding. And this is the manner in which Jesus functions. Because it was one time asked of him to call down some angels to help him. And he said, I can. I can call down a legion of angels, 10,000 angels. How many of us with the ability to call down 10,000 angels to help us in any situation would have the restraint not to. The restraint to go and die knowing you have the ability to call down something that nobody can overcome. It's the meekness of Christ. That's the same attitude, meekness that we should have. We should understand that we have heavenly power to help us overcome any obstacle in our lives. But we should have a godly heart to embrace that with love, knowing that the outcome, whatever we go through, is supposed to bring glory and honor to God. Now let's read John 5 so we can put some scripture behind some of these thoughts. But as I read, I want us to remember, as I pointed out earlier, that this comes at the cusp of Jesus healing a man who had been lame for 38 years. That's almost my whole life. He was laying at this pool waiting for somebody to bring him in, and he didn't have not a one friend in 38 years to bring him in when this water troubled. And when it happened, he turned on the person that helped him. That's probably why he was waiting so long. <laughs> when somebody finally did come and help him, he turned on him and turned him over to the authorities. But that's, another, that's another sermon, another lesson. Let's start at verse number 17. But Jesus answered, my father worketh Hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken a Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do for that thing soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. For the father loveth the son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. For the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath eternal life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from men, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John for the works which the father has given me to finish the same works that I do bear witness of me that the father hath sent me and the father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape and ye have not his word abiding in you for whom he hath sent him. Ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. If I receive not honor from men, as that I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, on whom ye trust. For had ye believed in Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? You see, it's easy to take this passage out of context and forget that Jesus is in a conflicted situation and that this is actually his response to a group of Jews who want to kill him. Because it appears as if he's calm as he says this, as if he's composed in his composition of his answer. But this is actually in reaction to Jews who want to kill him because in their mind he has broken the Sabbath and he has blasphemed and violated the law by claiming that he was the son of God, making him equal with God. And he responds in a way that's to teach them, that's to lead them to an understanding that he is well aware of who he is, who his father is, and what his father has sent him to do in this world. And this is all because he did good. And Jesus has many examples in scripture of him doing something that's good and those who don't understand it want to seek harm to him. And so for us, it teaches us. Because hopefully we'll find ourselves having many examples of where we do good in life 
And some of those situations will cause people to want to seek our harm because they don't understand where we're coming from and why we're doing what it is that we do. Because we'll stick out from the world like Jesus. He stuck out because he was trying to please God. And so from this passage, let's just look at a a few of the concepts. We don't have time to go through all of them, but we'll just look at a few of the concepts of what's tailoring Jesus's mindset that molds the way in which he acts that might help us as we go through this life. And the very first thing that I want us to consider, where I want us to start at, is if you look at verse number 19, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. Then look at verse number 30. I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear I judge. You see, what Jesus understands is that he's not functioning under his Understanding under his authority, it's all under God's authority. Jesus isn't the rogue agent. He's not doing things that he thinks is right. It's not 007 on the run making it up as he goes. He is the son of God who understands what God would have him to do, and he's fulfilling that purpose, and he's not letting anybody come in the way of him doing what God would have him to do in each situation that he is confronted in. Why? Because he understands what God wants. He understands that he's supposed to fulfill a certain need. And in doing that, he doesn't go with his understanding in situations. He goes with God's. And if we are to be as Christians and understand how we're to act in any situation, not just conflicted situations, not just in situations to where there's opposition because people don't understand us, we have to understand that we're going under the authority of God so that we can have a godly outcome in any and everything we do. Because if we don't, what's going to happen? I'm going to take my mindset. And I'm going to operate in what I feel is necessary in each situation, regardless of what God says. Because I'm determining what would be the best step, the best action to do. And most of the times, we operate in ways to preserve ourselves, whether that's physically, socially, financially. We operate in ways self-preservation is the first law of nature. That's not the way that God sees things. God wants us to operate in a way that brings about his glory. For Christ, that man going to the cross. Jesus told us that each one of us has to bear our own cross. And if we don't keep that in mind, we will not always approach situations intending to operate under the authority of God. So, once we start there, we can understand. No matter who I'm dealing with, God's in control and telling me what I need to do. And no matter what they do, what they say, how they act with me, I'm going to function under the authority of God. But what happens once you understand that you're well functioning under this authority of God? I think you realize that God really does love you. And out of that love, there's an expectation of obedience. 
as I look around this audience, there's a lot of parents in here. There's a lot of uh, people who work with children or work with little ones. And you know that you love somebody, the little ones I'm talking about, that's under your care. And out of that love, you expect them to do as you say. And as that love deepens and as they get older and as they get to a point to where they can mature, that love reveals itself in you revealing your plan for them. What you want them to do to fit in your ultimate goals, which has their best benefit at heart and also the accomplishment of your plans because you love them. Listen to what Jesus says. Now I do nothing of myself but what he saith the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, those things also the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that he himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these. You see, it gets to a point to where love reveals a plan to the person in which is part of that plan because you want them to know where you're at. Jesus Christ. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I let you know, I, I, I reveal this heavenly plan to you, the Bible, God's revelation of salvation for people. He's showing us his plan because he loves us and because he wants us to know how we fit in that plan so we can be obedient to his will. So we don't have to question, of why do I do what I do? I'm doing what you want me to do because I know the end goal is salvation, my eternal life. Jesus Christ, I'm doing what you want me to do because I know the end goal is to redeem your creation. And it means that I must be obedient to the point to where I go to the cross, which means I suffer for a moment, but I'm glorified eternally. We listen to God. We understand that he has authority of us, that he loves us, and he has revealed his plan of salvation for us. And we do what he says in the moment so that we will get the outcome that he desires. Jesus is responding in obedience to the love that God has. And he's not going to allow anybody to break that relationship. You see, when you're obedient to the one that you love, no matter what somebody on the outside of that relationship says, you're not going to break it. We see that's a lot with little kids. And I used to have problems before I retired from teaching where kids would say, my mama said if somebody hits me, hit them back. Why? Because they understand that their parents love them. And from their parents' standpoint, the way that they were going to be the best person that they could be was to always stand up for themselves. So they instructed them to act in a certain way that the kid said, I'm going to be obedient to that. I'm going to do what my mama said. My mama said, don't take off this hat. Don't take off these shoes, whatever it is. Don't let nobody do this and that. And we understand as kids, when they believe that their parent has the best intent for them, they will fight to do what their parent says, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else except for them and their parent. And if we function with that same level of commitment to God, to Christ, no matter what people say, we know that God and Jesus love us, we will uphold our end of the 
relationship and be obedient unto death because we know that God really has a plan for us, revealed it to us, and he's going to vindicate us and bring us into his eternal presence because we did what he told us to do. But we must first understand that God's in authority. And we must also understand that God loves us. And out of that love, there's an expectation for us to be obedient no matter what's going on around us. Conflict, confrontation, it has the possibility of disrupting relationships, but it doesn't have to. That's upon the persons in the relationships to allow it to, but you don't have to. So if you function as Jesus functioned in this conflicted situation, you'll find yourselves able to make it through as Jesus did. Because once you understand that God is in authority and that God loves you and that you have an obligation to be obedient, you will also understand that you have a responsibility that God has given you to manifest in this life. Jesus understood, and let's look at verse 22 through 24, that he had a judgment that God was giving him authority over, and also he had a message to give people that was going to offer them salvation. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You see, Jesus's responsibility was sending a message to mankind that would extend the opportunity for eternal life and also rendering Righteous judgment upon mankind. And why is Jesus able to render this judgment? Because Jesus came in the flesh and he lived this life as man and he experienced all things so that he can determine godly our actions. Because there was no sin that we encounter that is foreign to God. Technology might change, but the things are the same. Jesus, three times tempted by the devil in the wilderness. All three times Jesus overcomes. Which one of us would have the strength? If we was put up on the pinnacle and seeing all the kingdoms of mankind, and the devil said, all you got to do is bow down to me and you can have all of this. In a one-on-one situation. Which one of us would have the strength? To say, no, you should only serve the Lord your God and trust that that obedience to God and in denying all of the pleasures of this life while you're in this life is worth salvation. You can only do that if you understand the responsibility that you have, if you understand the relationship that you are in with God. And that God's really going to take care of you. And that no matter what outside opposition comes 
it cannot break the bond that you have with God. That is on you. So I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand, to encourage us not to allow conflict outside things to break our commitment to God in Christ Jesus. Because we are the only ones that can cause us to lose salvation. And once we get that in our minds, we'll also understand that as Jesus was given a task, we are also given a task. We were all given a spiritual gift with the purpose of upbuilding the kingdom of God. And if we're going to live under God's authority, understanding the relationship that we have with God and that we must be obedient, we must also understand that he has given us a spiritual gift in which to benefit his people. And when we live expressing that gift, we're going to come into conflicted situations with people who don't understand it. And it's sad to say some of those people might claim to be Christians, but we cannot allow that to stop us. Because the people that Jesus was conflicted with the most was those who were supposed to be the children of God. And they didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah and that all that he was doing was to show that God was working through him and trying to offer salvation into this world because he had a purpose. He had a calling. And he wasn't going to allow anybody to stop that from being fulfilled. And neither should we. We must be about our father's business. No matter what's going on in this world. No matter who's trying to stop you. No matter what trouble they try to present to you. Because if you're not doing God's business nine out of ten times, you're either doing the devil's or your own. And neither one of those can get you into heaven. So we must make up our mind as we're committed to Christ, to be willing to embrace the conflict that comes with it. Now, I'm not saying go look for it, but what I'm saying is when it comes, don't be scared of it. Handle it appropriately. Do it in a manner that doesn't cause you to lose your Christian character, because you can. And Jesus gives us a good example And in giving us an example, Jesus also showed that what I'm doing should show to you that I'm being validated by God the Father because, one, John the Baptist, whom you went and questioned, pointed to me. Scripture, what you claim is saving you, points to me. The works that I do validate that God is working through me. God has validated me. And some people heard it when he got baptized. And Moses, whom they put their hope in, validated Jesus. They said, if you listen to the writings of Moses, you would hear my words. Yet the problem is they didn't understand scripture. They didn't know God. They halfway believed John the Baptist. So all of these things that validated Jesus, they didn't accept. But that didn't cause Jesus to change his character. A lot of times people will not accept the work that we do because they don't know scripture. 
which is validating what we do when we're working under the authority of God and doing ministry, understanding what God has called us to do and living responsibly as Christians and can find proof, evidence, reasons in the biblical text as why we function like we do, a lot of people will not understand it because they're operating from their own understanding. They're operating from a carnal mind state when you're operating from a spiritual one. And if you can show them in a reasonable manner why it is you believe what you believe, why it is you do what you do, evidence of the relationship that you have with God from scripture and they don't accept it, you don't have to stoop to their level. Just let them be. You know why? Because no matter what they do to you, God is going to vindicate you and death will not stop that. You see, as Christians, Christians, we have a way that we're called to be. And it's in opposition to the world. And that opposition sometimes causes conflict to where people really want to seek your bodily harm. I heard there was a story one time of Marshall Keeble. He was in the store and somebody didn't like the way that he preached the fact that he preached the church. And he told a man that I will give I will clear up your debt that you owe me if you go there and punch him. And the man went and punched Marshall Keeble. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. He wasn't a violent man, a peaceful man. But he had to take the conflict that he encountered in this world and react to it Christianly. He took it for Christ. And we can too. But you know what that means? We're going to have to stand up for Christ in situations in life. We're going to have to be assured of who we are as Christians and not cower because of that. We are in a world that opposes true godliness, not fake godliness. Everybody professes to love Jesus and to want to do God's will, but they don't exhibit it in the way that they live. And those who exhibit it get ridiculed, ostracized, talked about, blackballed, because they speak up for God. But if we're willing as Christians to be in situations and accept, confront opposition in a godly way, we will be okay. So question, what's your relationship with God, Jesus, like? You understand who has authority in that situation? Is it built on the love that God has shown in revealing his plan for us and you understanding and accepting that and being obedient to his will? Are your actions authorized by God? And that authorization comes from an understanding of scripture, from confirmation in God, putting his spirit in us and we're baptized and producing fruit through our works. Are you obedient to God's will? Even when it's tough, even when you don't want to be, do you do what God commands? Do you utilize your spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God? 
You see, these are questions that we must mull through in our minds and go over occasionally as a mirror to check ourselves, to make sure that we're on the right page. Because in this text, while Jesus did a lot of talking and the answer that he responded to is not presented as a question form in John 5, there is another side to this text. And that other side is to the Jews who oppose Christ. And see, Jesus tells them that you're a Jew, essentially, and you don't have a relationship with God that you think you do. So as I'm functioning under the authority of God and doing what God wants because I understand the ministry that he has called me into, you, Jews, are functioning with your own understanding. And while you function with your own understanding, you're denying everything that God has done to prove that Jesus is the Christ and your actions show it because you're not honoring his son. And no matter who you are, a child of God or a child of Satan, there will be a resurrection. A resurrection that will either lead to eternal life or condemnation. So as we consider this text and what Jesus is showing us and how he's responding in a conflicted situation, we also must consider those whom he was talking to. Because all are going to hear the message of Christ, Jesus' words, and they're going to be judged accordingly. So while we sit here and we read Bible and understand scripture, hopefully we must also understand that we're going to be held accountable how we respond to that scripture. And knowing that we're going to be held accountable to that, how we respond to that scripture should give us assurance to do God's will. Because not just us, but everyone who was given the breath of life will have to respond. And so that it was in opposition to us who seek our harm. They're going to have to answer to God for what he did, did to God's people. So we can rest assured that no matter what they do to us. If we're doing God's will, we'll be vindicated. We can rest assured that no matter what we have to go through, if we go through it because God told us to go through it, we will receive an eternal reward and be in God's presence forever. But to get there, we have to silence out the noise of the opposition. We have to understand who's in authority, which is God. And we have to honor Jesus Christ and God by being obedient to the will of God, knowing that he loves us and he revealed his plan for us in scripture to prove that whatever we go through, if we do it in faith, on the other side, there's eternal life. And nothing can stop that except for us. We are the only ones that can keep us from eternal life. God sent Jesus Christ to die for the sin of the world. So everyone 
who believes in Christ has access to this free gift. So it's not as if God says for certain people, I'm going to die. He said, I'm dying for all. And those that believe are going to receive what he's giving freely. And the question is, will we receive eternal salvation or condemnation? And a good way to judge that is by our actions and how we respond to things in life, especially conflicted situations. I would say, encourage us all, continue putting our faith in God, growing in our relationship, being assured of who we are as his children, and don't let anybody shake you of that. Because even when we do good, people are not going to understand it. Jesus healed a man who for 38 years had been waiting to be healed. He tells him to get up, carry your mat, and walk. And because he did a good deed, people wanted to kill him. But he knew who he was and didn't allow their hate to stop the love he had for God. Let's overcome the world's hate by staying committed to God in love and faithful to his word and be obedient. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.